Good morning to you, brothers and sisters in Christ. And I greet you in Jesus' name, who is the Word of God. He is the living Word, and it is through that life uh, that we experience a relationship with Him. We experience victory uh, in our Christian lives through the power of God imparted through Jesus Christ. I invite you to turn to the first chapter of James as we move along in our study uh, through the book of James. It's interesting, uh, the message I have to share with you this morning sort of follows right on the heels of our Sunday school lesson. I, I didn't plan that, I just am working through James and, and there's the Sunday school and here's the sermon and they just kind of uh, dovetail somewhat. Uh, but the Lord uses that for his purposes, and so it's sort of a continuation in, in a way. We talked a little bit about uh, hearing instruction in the latter part of the Sunday school lesson, and the message that we're looking at this morning has a lot to do with hearing, hearing the word, accepting the word. Uh, the title I've given this message this morning is My Response to the Word. And so it's meant to be a, a, personal, a personal reflection. In other words, reflecting on my condition, reflecting on the way that, that I view life, the way that I view the Word of God, and then asking myself the question, what is my response to the Word of God? How do I view it in my life this morning? And so our text this morning is James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, and this is, is actually just part one of my response to the Word. Uh, we're going to look at verses 19 through 21 this morning, and then at a later date, uh, we'll look at verses 22 through 27, which I'll consider the second part of this message, my response to the Word. Follow along as I read verses 19 through 21. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls." Now, one of the major themes, you could say, that runs through this chapter is the Word of God. The Word of God. Now, in the first message about trials, we noted in verse 5 that we need the wisdom of the Word in times of trials. The wisdom of the Word. In the second message, dealing more with temptations... Uh, we notice in verses 13 and 14 that we need the truth of the word. Uh, the devil brings deception into our lives, tries to tempt us, twist the truth somewhat. And then, of course, uh, we are tempted in and of our, our own flesh, our fleshly lusts. But there is deception there. And so in times of temptation, we need the truth of the word to help us through those times. And then I see here in, in the latter verses of this chapter, we need the power of the word uh, to live holy 
and godly lives, lives that are pure. The power of the word, verse 21 speaks about the word that is able to save your souls, that's power. Verse 25 speaks about that perfect law of liberty, which is the word of God that gives freedom. Once again, that's the powerful word of God, providing salvation and freedom. And I would say especially the word of God is more of a central theme in the last number of verses. Perhaps starting at verse 18 through the rest of the chapter, we see the word of God is more of a central theme. Uh, for example, verse 18 speaks of the word of truth. Uh, verse 21 speaks about the engrafted word. Receive it with meekness. Uh, verse 22, the word. Verse 23, the word. Uh, verse 25, that perfect law of liberty. And so the word of God is a central theme in these latter verses of, of chapter 1. In fact, is there anything that is more central in the life of the believer than the Word of God? Think about it for a moment. Think about your own experience. Think about your life, uh, the, de the decisions you make, the things that you do. The Word of God, it's why we are who we are. It's why we do what we do. It's why we believe what we believe. It's why we come to church. It's why we send our children to a Christian day school. It's why uh, us men would find some careers to be unacceptable and others to be fine. It's why I choose not to take my family to certain restaurants. Uh, and, and you can just go down the list. The Word of God, why we do what we do, why we are who we are. The Word of God is a central theme. It's central in the life of the believer. Certainly the Word of God is our guide. It gives us direction uh, to live a life that pleases God. And you could say with its pure light, it reveals areas of darkness. It gives us discernment to make wise choices. David said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Shining light in dark areas to help us walk more safely. Yes, in a spiritual sense, of course. And, and so we teach the word. We preach the word. We live out the word. It's central to the life of the believer. And I would also say, out of obedience to God and, and out of concern uh, for the generations to come, we as parents strive to create an atmosphere in our homes that are permeated with the Word of God. And we read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, perhaps the first nine verses, where, where Moses is, is giving the commandment of the Lord, he's passing that on to the people, and, and he's telling them that in every part of life, in every part of the day, wherever you find yourself, make it a teaching opportunity. Use it as opportunities to teach your children the Word of God. When you rise up, when you go to bed, all throughout the day. In other words, the Word of God needs to permeate our homes. 
And so that can be fleshed out in many ways, but that has to do with the music we listen to, that has to do with the books and magazines uh, that we read that are available, that are sitting on the coffee table perhaps in our home, uh, that has to do with the games that we play in our homes, uh, that has to do with where we choose to go on vacation, and the list could go on and on. But, but a home life that is permeated with the Word of God is fleshed out in many different ways. You see, the Word of God is, you could say, the, the heart and the soul of our Christian experience. Because in it and through it, God speaks. God reveals himself. God reveals his plan, his desire for mankind. And so we ought to listen. We ought to listen carefully. And so once again, I ask you to ponder this question this morning and throughout the message what is my response to the Word of God? What is my response to the Word of God? It has been said, a person's attitude towards God's Word is the ultimate criteria of his spirituality. Think about that a moment. A person's attitude towards God's word is the ultimate criteria of his spirituality. And so, how do you view God's word this morning? Do you view it as the absolute truth? When God speaks, you say, yes, God, amen, I'm with you. Or do you view God's word as... Simply some good advice when necessary. How do you view it this morning? The sobering truth is this. The way we respond to the word of God determines our destiny. That's a sobering thought. But there is truth there. The way that we respond to the word of God determines our destiny. Turn to Luke chapter 8 for a few verses here. Jesus made this quite clear in the parable of the sower. I noted a few of these verses uh, in the the previous message about temptation. I'd like to note a few of them again as we get into this message on my response to the word of God. Jesus made it quite clear that the way we respond to the word of God determines our destiny. And let us note in particular the varied responses to the word that was heard. Now, as I read a few verses, we'll look at verses 11 through 15. But as I read these verses, take note that these these people, we'll say they're people, okay, which really is the intent here, of course, we have different soils listed here, but that's, that's really our hearts, our people. Let's say these people, they all heard the same word, okay? They all heard the same thing. The what was the same, you could say, in, in all of these situations. However, varied responses created very varied results. Different responses different results. 
take note of that as we read this. Verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among the thorns are they which, when they heard, go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Now, just note again, each one of those, it clearly says, they heard, okay? All these people, they heard. It makes it clear. And yet note the different responses. The different responses and note the different results. So the word that fell on hard ground accomplished nothing. The word that fell on stony ground ultimately accomplished nothing. The word that fell among the thorns ultimately accomplished nothing. But... The word that falls on good ground produces a good crop. Good ground, good crop. In other words, there's a proper reception there to the word that was heard. There's a proper response. And it describes a person who who there in verse 11 or 15, it says that they have a good and sincere heart. They not only hear the word, but they keep it. And and keeping it there, to me, it refers to to a personal possession. In other words, they decide that this is something that I need. This is something that I want for myself. I have heard something that I need. I make it mine. So they hear the word and they keep it. Or you could say they put effort into understanding it. Uh, They retain it. They put it to work in their life. And look at the result. Yes, there's a good crop. There's good fruit, which you didn't find in the others. I note in verse 21, Jesus had something to say about hearing and doing. Verse 21, he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God... And do it. In other words, Jesus is saying that right on the heels of sharing this parable, there was a little little, little situation then right after where, you know, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. And Jesus responds, look, all of those who hear my word and do it, they're my family. Welcome to the family. You're a part of the family of God if you hear the word of God and do it. That's what Jesus had to say about that. You know, once again, in each situation, the what is the same? It's the word. It's the truth. They all heard it. And yet the how is different, which created different results. Look at verse 18. Look what Jesus said in verse 18. Take heed therefore 
how you hear. Take heed, therefore, how you hear. Or in other words, consider carefully how you listen. It just comes to my mind, and I don't know, it, I don't know the details, but it comes to my mind, back some, some time ago, Uncle David, uh, when he was preaching, shared an illustration about, about two boys from this congregation many, many years ago perhaps when he was growing up or perhaps before, I can't remember all the details, two boys who grew up together and, and they came to know the Lord and they, uh, they were both interested in joining the church. But as, as those boys and as those young fellows grew into young men and as they went on through life, because of the difference in their response to the word, their paths went in separate directions. And I remember the one, uh, Uncle David said, was a, uh, ended up being an ordained minister and sharing the word of God and having a heart for the Lord and the church, and, and the other, not so much at all. What they heard was the same. The way they responded was different, which created much different results. Take heed, therefore, how you hear, Jesus said. Now, with this said, let's, let's go back to our text in James chapter 1, and we're going to note some directives for responding to the Word of God. In fact, I've, I've worded them as personal resolves, because out of our love for God and our desire to please Him in all areas of life, I will respond to the Word of God in these ways. Now we're looking at one this morning and we'll save the next two for a later date. But this morning we will look at particularly I will accept it. I will accept the word of God. And then later we'll note uh, probably in the same message at a later date I will apply the word of God and I will affirm the word of God. And that's in the latter part of of James chapter 1 here. This morning, I will accept it, and then later, I will apply it and I will affirm it. Let's note this morning uh, five directives for accepting the Word of God that we note here in James 1, verses 19 through 21. In other words, this is how we should accept it. Jesus said, Take heed how ye hear. And James is giving us some instruction here on how we, how we accept the word, how we receive the word. Verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. And so I'm saying... Be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Now, I suppose that we could just pull out verse 19 out of this section here, and we could talk about the need to simply be a good listener. And that's been done before. That's not altogether wrong. We could talk about the importance of of listening more to our children (laughs) or, or listening more to our wife or our husband. We need to be good listeners. And, and oh, by the way... 
that means we need to talk less, right? And that's what it says. Be quick to hear and be slow to speak. You know, and by the way, God gave us two ears and one mouth. So that means we're supposed to talk half as much as we hear, you know, right? And then, and then while you're doing that, don't be quick to get angry. You know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be quick to get angry. C- control your temper. Um, and, and, you know, practice forbearance. And, you know, that's all good and that's great. And we need to do that. We need to do all those things. But the truth of the matter is, that's not the context here that we're looking at. Uh, that's, at least as I see it, that's not what James is talking about here. The context here is all about the word of truth. And we read about it in verse 18. He said, of his own will, or talking about our Father, God, the Father of lights, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And then right on the heels of that he says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, or quick to listen. The word of truth. And so when it says, be swift to hear or be quick to listen, it means to be quick to hear the word of God. Grasp every opportunity to increase your your hearing and your understanding of the word of God. So go to those special meetings or or go to the revival meetings or, or go to the weekend meetings or Uh, Come to Sunday school, or Dan, I'll leave you off the hook this morning on the Sunday school, but uh, go to the sermon, or, uh, you know, Sunday evening topics, go hear them, Wednesday evening Bible study. It it speaks about a passion for the Word of God, a desire to hear the Word of God, a genuine heart for God's Word. Uh, Psalm 119 The psalmist David speaks much about his love for the word of God. Verse 97, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 103, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Verse 111, Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. The rejoicing of my heart. Can we say that this morning? I would say that if God's word is joy to our heart, if we have a sincere love for the truth, then we will be quick to hear. We'll be quick to sit under the proclamation of the word, whether it's being preached or taught or or even uh, sung, the proclamation of the word of God. Be quick to listen. Alex Motier wrote this. We might wonder why the ever-practical James does not proceed to outline schemes of daily Bible reading or the like. For surely these are the ways in which we offer a willing ear to the voice of God. But he doesn't do that. Rather, he goes deeper. For frankly, there is little point to schemes and times if we have got no attentive spirit. It is possible to be unfailingly regular in Bible reading, but to achieve no more than to have moved the bookmark forward. The word is read, but not heard. Those are are convicting words. How many times has that described me? 
Yes, reading the Bible, but yet what have I, what have I really gained? And I'm not, I'm not suggesting we stop reading the Bible, okay? That goes contrary to the whole gist of this message. But I'm suggesting that we be true hearers. True hearers. Quick to listen. Quick to listen. Hear what it says. Moving right along then, right on the heels of that, James writes this. Be slow to speak. Another directive for accepting the word of God. Be slow to speak. I wonder what he has in mind there. What does that have to do with accepting the word of God? And once again, I don't think he's simply talking about being a a quiet kind of person. Although, it is interesting to note uh, that in verse 26, he speaks about... uh, bridling our tongues. Also in chapter 3, the most of chapter 3 is is given to the importance of our tongue and the important use of our tongue. And so perhaps James had some in mind who were quick to speak and slow to listen. Perhaps he did. Maybe he had me in mind. (laughs) Well, no, I don't think he had me in mind, but perhaps God has me in mind there. But once again, the context of this passage is hearing and accepting the word of God. With that in mind, we are to, and I quote, be swift to hear and then with deep consideration give answer. You have just engaged yourself in the most serious engagement and exercise on the face of the earth, that is, teaching the word of the living God. Teaching the word of the living God. And so, along with that comes the responsibility to do it with care and to do it with caution. It's important that the word of God is is spoken with truth and with accuracy. And so James writes, don't be in a hurry to speak. (laughs) Don't be in a hurry to speak it. In fact, just just turn over to the first verse of chapter 3. James makes it clear that the responsibility of the teacher of God's word is not a light responsibility. It's not at all. It's a sobering thing. I read this in the NIV. He says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, who wants that? (laughs) How many of us would raise our hand and say, Yep, count me in on that one. (laughs) No, not many of us would do that, and, and rightly so. It's a sobering responsibility. And yet God calls us to teach and to preach the word. Certainly he does. But James is is cautioning us here to do it with carefulness. Do it cautiously because it is the living word of God. Not something to be taken lightly. In studying this message, I came across a very interesting story about the great preacher John Knox. John Knox was a Scottish preacher uh, who was a big part of the Reformation in in Scotland many years ago. I can't remember exactly what the dates were there. 
but he was known as a very bold and very powerful preacher. And in the, in the Scottish Presbyterian Church, they would put a robe uh, on, the, on the preacher, and then he would walk up into the pulpit. You, perhaps you've seen some real, more of the formal Presbyterian churches where the, the pulpit is, is much more elevated than this. Sometimes it's even over in the corner in a little, a neat little pretty little gazebo type thing, whatever they call them. But it, you walk up these steps and the preacher's up there in his you know, liturgical garments and he preaches the word from an elevated position. That was, that was a part of uh, the John Knox uh, era. Anyway, John Knox would get prepared and he would go up there into the pulpit and then he would just preach the word with both barrels blazing. I mean, he was, he was a real preacher, they said. He would really go for it. And so you would think that, well, perhaps this man was just a natural. Uh, or perhaps, perhaps he aspired to this. You know, this is something that he, that he really prepared for. And he always wanted to be a preacher, and, and now he has his chance. So here we go. But the interesting part of the story is, is that actually the opposite is true. This was not really the John Knox that people knew at all. In a book about him, the writer notes this. When he was first called to preach, he burst forth in most abundant tears and withdrew himself to his chamber. His face, his countenance, and his behavior from that day till the day he was compelled to present himself in the public place of preaching did sufficiently declare the trouble and grief of his soul. (laughs) I found that interesting. Now, why would a man like John Knox react like this? Well, no doubt, he felt the weight of the responsibility. He understood the seriousness of preaching the living word of God. It was no light matter. He understood that that what he was called to do, what he was handling, was of great importance. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It gives us some admonition here in relation to how we respond uh, to the Word of God, how we should accept it. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, in the first two verses, we read this. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Now, he doesn't say there exactly what the sacrifice of fools is, at least right there. He does say, be more ready to hear, and he implies that fools don't hear very well. Instead, they just just, just talk, just burst forth without proper preparation. Okay, But if we keep reading, we find out. Verse 2, be not rash or be not quick with your mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. Why should we be slow to speak as we accept the word? And the writer here says, because of who God is, and because of who we are. God is in heaven. (laughs) We are just... This little, lowly nobody as such on earth. In other words, keep a proper perspective 
of who God is and who you are. And when you keep that in mind, you will be much slower to speak. Therefore, let your words be few. Be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. Some good admonition for us as we consider accepting the word. Now, moving right along back to our text again uh, in verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Or, in other words, slow to become angry. And once again, perhaps this sounds like an odd thing to consider in relation to accepting the word of God. The Greek word here that is used for wrath or for anger is a deep-seated resentment. It's not that explosion, you know, bursting forth in anger. It's not in a rage. It's not, it's not that kind of anger. But it's, it's an inner resentment. It's an irritation. It's a boiling. You could say it's a boiling down inside. After you've heard the word of God. And so he's saying, be very eager to hear the word of God. Be slow to speak it. Or don't be in a hurry to speak it. And be very slow to boil with resentment in response to it. Someone has said, some people begin to resent when they hear something that's different than what they believe. Some people resent when they hear something that confronts them. They are hostile to the truth because they are convicted by it. And I had to think of the mob that ran at Stephen that we read about in Acts chapter 7. Uh, you could just turn back there. I'd just like to note a couple verses there. And this was exactly their response when Stephen was before the Sanhedrin and he preached that powerful message to them. Note their response to the word that was heard. Verse 54 of Acts 7. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. In other words, there was an anger there. There was a resentment to what they heard. 55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. I note that's interesting because in that response, we see two things that we note here in James chapter 1 about responding to the word. One is, they closed their ears. (laughs) They were not quick to listen. Secondly, they got angry. There was resentment boiling within them as as they considered what that word meant to them. It convicted them. I ask us this morning, how do we respond to the word of God when it brings to our attention an area in our life that we know is not right? How do we respond to the word of God when it brings to our attention an area in our life that 
we understand and we realize needs to be changed. And when the truth is heard, when the truth is presented, does it clash with our ideas? Or do we meet it, do we greet it with a a hearty yay and amen? What is our response to the word that is heard? What kind of reaction comes from within you when you are confronted with the truth of God's word? Especially when it is calling you to a place that you are not and you don't necessarily desire to go. (laughs) James writes here, be very slow to have a negative reaction. Implying that we should just humbly accept it. And we'll, we'll read about that in a moment. But implying that God's word is there to make us better. God's word is there to help us to grow. God wants to do a good work within us. And so, be very slow to have a negative reaction. Why? We could say, why? Well, look at verse 20. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Or you could say, when we get angry, good things don't happen. Especially when we get angry fast, good things do not happen. And think about that, especially as it relates to us hearing the word, accepting the word. God wants the word, or God's desire and design for the word is to nurture us and to build us up and to help us to grow more in his likeness. However, when we respond with anger and resentment and resistance to that, that work comes to a stop. Yes, we've heard the word, but the result depends on our reaction, our response to what is heard. So I I call us to simply strive to be open to the word of God, strive to be grateful for it. Now, let's move along to verse 21 here. Another directive for responding to the Word of God, for accepting the Word of God, is to get rid of all impurities. Get rid of all impurities. Notice how this is is read in the NIV. It's a little bit easier. Uh, We don't often use the word superfluity of naughtiness. (laughs) Now, naughtiness is used in our home some, but we don't often use superfluity. Note verse 21 in the NIV. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Dear people, this is so basic and yet so very important. Sin hinders the work of the word in our lives. Sin hinders the work of the word in our lives. And so we're talking this morning about my response to the word and the importance of accepting it and applying it to my life. But let us not forget that a very essential part of 
putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is putting off the things of the flesh. Putting off wickedness. You have to have the one before you can truly have the other. Or let me say it this way. You have to get rid of the one before you can truly have the other. You know, physically speaking, common sense would tell us that we typically put things off before we put more things on. Now, I have yet to go to Harrisonburg to a meeting up there and met one of the ministers at a meeting that, for lack of time, um, ran out of the turkey house in his stinky clothes and just simply pulled on his Sunday clothes on top of them and met me at church. That's not happened yet. (laughs) But, you know... And we would think, well, that's nonsense. You know, no one would ever do that in a physical sense. No, I don't think they would. But yet, think about it. How often do we perhaps try to do that in a spiritual sense? In other words, we're not taking care of, we're not dealing with the, with the, the fleshly issues or the sin issues in our life. We're trying to cover up somewhat. We know there's some issues that need to be dealt with, but we're not really willing to deal with them And so we're trying to put on without putting off. How often perhaps we get in that situation. The Apostle Paul wrote about this numerous times. We could read in Colossians chapter 3 and uh, Ephesians chapter 4 where he talks about, you know, put off this and put off this and then after that, put on this. And you can read those at, at some time. But here in Romans 13 verse 12, we read, The night is far spent... The day is at hand, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Uh, Apostle Peter also speaks about the importance of this in 1 Peter 2.1, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. In other words, put off the things of the flesh, put off the sinful habits, and latch on to the Word of God. Bring on the Word of God. Get under the proclamation of the Word of God. It helps you to grow. It strengthens you. The point is that before the Word of God can be accepted, and before it can produce the righteousness of God within us, sin has to be dealt with. There has to be a dealing with our sinful nature. It must come first. So may God help us to to clearly see that our spiritual growth and our standing with Him is dependent on our willingness to do this. It certainly is. We desire to have a walk with the Lord. We desire to, to have peace with God. We desire to have good relationships with our family members, with our brothers and sisters in the church. There's some things that must be dealt with personally in order to make those relationships flourish. One is we need to deal with our sinful nature. We need to deal with how we accept the word of God. Those must come first and are clearly important in our lives. And then we note yet another directive, one last one for this morning, another directive for accepting.
the word of God, and that is to humbly accept the word of God. Humbly accept the word of God. If there is anything that will keep us from accepting God's word, it's pride. Pride. You know, pride says, I don't need it. (laughs) Pride says, I can do it myself. Pride says, my way is better and my way is easier. Doing it God's way is too hard. It's too hard and, and, and it costs me too much. That's pride. You know, it was pride that, that kicked Satan out of heaven. I mean, God actually disposed of him, but it was because of pride in his life. And there's also pride that will keep us distanced from God. It is pride that will keep us from experiencing uh, the beautiful presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. We read here that we are to receive with meekness. Receive the word with meekness. Receive. I know it's a command. Do this. Receive the word. Accept the word. And then it says how we ought to do it. Receive it with humility. Accept it with meekness. Accept it with a willing spirit. Knowing that the work is meant to produce eternal good within you. The ultimate purpose of the word is not to condemn us. It's not to convict us. That's not the ultimate purpose of the word. The ultimate purpose of the word working within us is to bring life and to bring peace. And so accept it. Receive it humbly because of what God wants to do in your life. And oh, by the way, it speaks about the engrafted word. (laughs) The engrafted word. You know, it's, it's a pure word that is planted in sinful me and sinful you in order to produce good fruit. Isn't that amazing? How God, how God uses people like us that are, are so unruly and wild and sinful and unsightly, and whatever you might want to say, God uses us in order to do His work, in order to produce good fruit, in order to preach His Word, in order to to be a partner with Him in His business, you could say. Uh, Think of of an apple tree. I don't know much about grafting, but I've I've heard that you can take an old wild apple tree, one that's really good for nothing, that has yucky fruit, maybe bitter fruit or whatever, you can take that tree and, and you can graft into it good branches... And as a result of that, you can get good fruit off of that gnarly, old, good-for-nothing apple tree by grafting into that tree good fruit, good, uh, good branches. You know, it's, it's the same way with the Word of God. God plants within us that Word of truth. He plants it within us. And it's through that that we are able to produce fruit that pleases Him. Now, as I think about that, that's real power. Thinking about the power of the word, that's real power. How God 
God's word is planted within us, which, which really the word of God is, is Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. He's, he's planted within us. He's dwelling within us. He is the one who is, who is saving us, who is sanctifying us, who is, who is making us more into the image of Jesus Christ. He's dwelling within us. He's helping us have victory. He's giving us freedom. <laughs> Talk about power. And certainly we are not worthy of that. Why would we not want to accept the word of God? Why do people not want to accept it? When you think of the power and the beauty and the benefits and the results that come from that. And yet I say once again, the power of the word and the effect of the engrafted word is dependent on your willingness to hear it and apply it. It's dependent on my willingness to accept it and say, yes, I need that. I need that. So we noted five directives here for accepting the word of God. Keep in mind that the opposite of these directives greatly hinder us or keep us from accepting the word. They keep us from experiencing real life in Christ. So when we are slow to hear the word, when we are too quick to talk about it, uh, when we are easily irritated by the truth of it, when we are careless about dealing with the sin in our lives, when we are too proud to fully accept it, then we stifle uh, that powerful work and the potential that it has within us. In closing, let me read one verse. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is a beautiful example of a group of people who received the word with meekness. I'd like to leave you with this verse this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13. Look at their testimony here. The Apostle Paul writes this, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And that's the kind of people that God is looking for this morning. People that have a renewed desire to eagerly hear the word and then humbly accept it and make it a guide for their life. May God help us to that end. Shall we have a song?